Chapter 12 The Mirror of Arist On Christmas Eve, Harry went to bed, looking forward to the next day for the food and the fun, but not expecting any presents at all. When he woke up early next morning, however, the first thing he saw was a small pile of packages at the foot of his bed. Happy Christmas, said Ron sleepily, as Harry scrambled out of bed and put his dressing gown. You too, said Harry. Will you look at this? I've got come some presents. What did you expect, turnips? said Ron, turning to his own pile, which was a lot bigger than Harry's. Harry picked up the top parcel. It was wrapped in thick brown paper and scrawled across. It was to Harry from Hagrid. Inside was a roughly cut wooden flute. Hagrid had obviously whittled it himself. Harry blew it and it sounded like a bit like an owl. A second very small parcel continued a note. We received your message and enclosed your Christmas present from Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. Cellotaped to the note was a 50 pence piece. That's friendly, said Harry. Ron was fascinated by the 50 pence. Weird, he said. What's the shape? This is money? You can keep it, said Harry, laughing at how pleased Ron was. Hagrid and my aunt and uncle. So who sent this? I think I know who that one's from, said Ron, going a bit pink and pointing to a very lumpy parcel. My mom. I told her you didn't expect any presents and, uh, oh, he groaned. She made you a Weasley jumper. Harry had torn open the parcel to find a thick hand-knitted sweater in emerald green and a large box of homemade fudge. Every year she makes she makes us jumper, said Ron, unwrapping his own, and mine's always maroon. That's really nice of her, said Harry, trying the fudge, which was very tasty. His next present also continued sweets, a large box of chocolate frogs from Hermione. This left only one parcel. Harry picked it up and felt it. It was very light. He unwrapped it. Something fluid and silvery grey went slithering to the floor, where it lay a gleaming false. Ron gasped. I've heard of those, he said and in a hushed voice, dropping the box of every flavor beans he got from Hermione. If that's what I think it is, they're really rare and really valuable. What is it? Harry picked it the shining silvery cloth of the floor. It was strange to the touch, like water woven into material. It's an invisible cloak, said Ron, a look of the ave on his face. I'm sure it is. Try it on. Harry threw the cloak around his shoulders and Ron gave a yell. It is. Look down. Harry looked down at his feet, but they had gone. He dashed to the mirror. Sure enough, his reflection looked back at him. Just his head suspended in mid-air, his body completely invisible. He pulled the cloak over his head and his reflection vanished completely. There's a note, said Ron suddenly. A note fell out of it. Harry pulled the cloak and seized the letter. Written in narrow, loppy writing he had never seen before were the following words. Your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. There was no signature. 
Harry stared at the note. Ron was admiring the cloak. I'd give anything for one of these, he said. Anything. What's the matter? Nothing, said Harry. He felt very strange. Who had sent the clock? Had it really once belonged to his father? Before he could say or think anything else, the dormitory door was flung open and Fred and George Weasley bounded in. Harry stuffed the cloak quickly out of sight. He didn't feel like sharing it with anyone else yet. Merry Christmas! Hey look, Harry's got a weasel jumper too. Fred and George were wearing blue jumpers, one with a large yellow F on it and the other with a large yellow G. Harry's is better than ours though, said Fred, holding up Harry's jumper. She obviously, she obviously makes more of an effort if you are not family. Why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? George demanded. Come on, get it on. They're lovely and warm. I hate maroon, Ron moaned and half hurtly as he pulled it over his head. You haven't got the leather on yours, George observed. I suppose she thinks you don't forget your name. But we are not stupid. We know we're called Greg and Forge. <laughs> What's all this noise? Percy Weasley stuck his head through the door, looking disapproving. He had clearly come halfway through. Unwrapping his presents as he too carried a jumper, a lumpy jumper over his arm, which Fred seized. P for prefect. Get done, Percy, come on. We're all wearing ours. Even Harry got one. I don't want, said Harry fitly, as the twins forced the jumper over his head, knocking his glasses askew. And you are not sitting with the prefects today either, said George. Christmas is time for family. The frog marched Percy from the room, his arms pinned to his sides by his jumper. It had been Harry's best Christmas day ever, yet something had been nagging at the back of his mind all day. Not until he climbed into bed was he free to think about it, the invisible cloak and whoever had sent it. Ron, full of turkey and cake and with nothing mysterious to bother with him, fell asleep almost as soon he had drawn the curtains of his four-poster. Harry leant over the side of his own bed and pulled the cloak out from under it. His father's. This had been his father's. He let the material flow over his hand, smoother than silk, light as air. Use it well, the note had said. He had to try it now. He slipped out of the bed and wrapped the cloak around himself. Looking down his legs, he saw only moonlight and shadows. It was a very funny feeling. Use it well. Suddenly Harry felt wide awake. The whole of Hogwarts was open to him in this cloak. Excitement flooded through his flooded through him as he stood there in the dark and silence. He could go anywhere in this anywhere and Filch would never know. Ron grunted in his sleep. Should Harry wake him? Something held him back, his father's cloak. He felt that this time, the first time he wanted to use it alone. He crept out of the dormitory down to the stairs, across the common room and climbed through the pottery hall. Who's there? squeaked the flat, fat lady. Harry said nothing. He walked quickly down the corridor. Where should he go? He stopped, his heart racing and dove and fought. And then it came to him, the restricted section in the library. He'd be able to read 
wept as long as he lived, as long as it took to find out who Flamel was. He set off, drawing the invisible cloak tight around him as he walked. The library was pitch black and very eerie. Harry lit the lamp to see his way along the rows of books. The lamp looked as if it was floating along in midair, and even though Harry could feel his arm supporting it, the sight gave him the creeps. The restricted section was right at the back of the library, stepping carefully over the rope which separated his books from the rest of the library. He held up his lamp to read the titles. They didn't tell him much. Their peeling, faded gold letters spelled words in languages Harry couldn't understand. Some had no title at all. One book had a dark stain on it and looked horrible like blood. The hairs on the back of Harry's neck, neck prickled. Maybe he was imagining it, maybe not. But he thought a faint whispering was coming from the books, as though they knew someone was there who shouldn't be. He had to start somewhere, setting the lamp down carefully on the floor. He looked along the bottom shelf for an interesting-looking book. A large black and silver volume caught his eyes. He pulled it and out with difficulty, because it was very heavy, and, balancing it, was on his knee, let it fall open. A piercing blood-curdling shriek split the silence. The book was screaming. Harry snapped it shut, but the shriek went on and on, on one high, unbroken, ear-splitting note. He stumbled backwards and knocked over his lamp, which went out at once. Panicking, he heard footsteps coming down the corridor outside. Stuffing the shrieking book back onto the shelf, he ran for it. He passed Filch almost on the doorway. Filch's pale, wild eyes looked straight to him, and Harry slipped under Filch's outstretched arm and straked off up to the corridor, the book's shriek still ringing in his ears. He came to a sudden halt in front of all tall suit of armor. He had been so busy getting away from the library, he hadn't paid attention to where he was going. Perhaps it was dark, he didn't recognize where it was at all. There was a suit of armor near the kitchen, he knew, but he must be five floors above there. You ask me to come directly to you, professor, if anyone was wandering around at night and somebody's been in the library, restricted section. Harry felt the blood drain out of his face. Wherever he was, Filch must have a shortcut because his soft, greasy voice was getting nearer to his horror. It was Snape who replied. The restricted section? Well, they can't be far. We'll catch them. Harry stood rooted to the spot as Filch and Snape came around the corner. They couldn't see him, of course, but it was a narrow corridor, and if they came much nearer, they'd knock right into him. The cloth didn't stop him being solid. He backed away as quick, quietly as he could. A door stood ager to his left. It was his only hope. He squeezed through it, holding his breath, trying not to move it. And, to his relief, he managed to get inside the room without their noticing anything. They walked straight past and Harry leaned against the wall, breathing deeply listening to their footsteps 
dying away. It had been close, very close. It was a few seconds before he noticed anything about the room. He had hidden. It looked like a disused classroom. The dark shapes of the desk and chairs were piled against the walls and there was an upturned waste paper basket. But propped against the wall, facing him, was something that didn't look as if it belonged there. Something that looked as if someone had just put it there to keep it out of the way. It was a magnificent mirror, as high as the ceiling, with an ornate gold frame standing on two clothed feet. There was an inscription carved around the top. Erist stra ebru doin oit ube kafru oit on wupsi. Wusi. His panic fading now, that there was a no sound of Filch and Sa Snape. Harry moved nearer to the mirror, wanting to look at himself, but see no reflection again. He stepped in front of it. He had to clap his hands to his mouth to stop himself screaming. He whirled around. His heart was pounding far more furiously than he than when the book had screamed. For he had seen not only himself in the mirror, but a whole crowd of people standing right behind him. But the room was empty. Breathing very fast, he turned slowly back to the mirror. There he was, reflected in it, white and scared looking. And there, reflected behind him, were at least ten others. Harry looked over his shoulder, but still no one was there. Or were they all invisible too? Was he in fact in a room full of invisible people and this mirror's trick was that it reflected them, invisible or not? He looked in the mirror again. A woman standing right behind his reflection was smiling at him and waving. He reached out a hand and felt the air behind him. If she was nearly there, he had touched her. Their reflections were so close together, but he felt only air. She and the others existed only in the mirror. She was a very pretty woman. She was a very pretty woman. She had a dark red hair and her eyes. Her eyes are just like mine, Harry thought, edging a little closer to the glass, bright green, exactly the same shape. But then he noticed that she was crying, smiling, but crying at the same time. The tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to her put his arm around her. He wore a glass, how he wore glasses, and his hair was very untidy. It stuck up at, at the back, just like Harry's did. Harry was so close to the mirror now that his nose was nearly touching that of his reflection. Mom, he whispered. Dad? They just looked at him, smiling, and slowly Harry looked into the faces of other people in the mirror and saw other pairs of green eyes like his. Other noses like his, even a little old man who looked as though he had Harry's knobbly knees. Harry was looking at his family for the first time in his life. The potter smiled and waved at Harry, and he stared hungrily back at them. His hands pressed flat against the glass, as though he was hoping to fall right through it and reach them. He had a powerful kind of age inside him, half joy, half terrible sadness. How long he stood there, he didn't know. The reflections did not fade and he looked and looked until a distant noise brought him back to his senses. 
he couldn't stay here. He had to find his way back to the bed. He tore his eyes away from mother's face, whispered, I'll come back, and hurried from the room. I don't know. I've just got, got a bad feeling about it. And anyway, you have too many clothes, shaves already. Filch, Snape and Miss Snows are wandering around. So what if they can't you see? What if they walked into you? What if you knock something over? You sound like Hermione. I'm serious. Harry don't go. But Harry only had one thought in his head, which was to go get back in front of the mirror and Ron wasn't going to stop him. That third night he found his way more quickly than before. He was walking so fast he knew he was making more noise than was than what than was, was wise. But he didn't meet anyone, met anyone. And there were his mother and father smiling at him again, and one of his grandfathers nodding happily. Harry sank down to sit on the floor in front of the mirror. There was nothing to stop him saying, here all night, as stop him staying here all night with his family. Nothing at all, except, so, back again, Harry. Harry felt as though his insides had turned to ice. He looked behind him, sitting one of the desk by the wall was none other than Albus Dumbledore. Harry must have walked straight past him, so desperate to get to the mirror he hadn't noticed him. I I didn't see you, sir. Strange. I I didn't see you, sir. Strange how short-sighted being invisible can make you, said Dumbledore, and Harry was relieved to see that he was smiling. So said Dumbledore, slipping off the desk to sit on the floor with Harry. You, like hundreds before you, have discovered the delights of the mirror of Arist. I didn't know it was called that, sir, but I expect you have realized by now what it does. It, uh, well, it shows me my family, and it showed your friend Ron himself as hat boy. How did you know? I don't need a cloak to become invisible, said Dumbledore gently. Now, can you think what the mirror of Arist shows us all? Harry shook his head. Let me explain. The happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of Arist like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and, he, and see himself exactly as he is. Does that help? Harry thought. Then he said slowly, it shows us what we want, whatever we want. Yes and no, said Dumbledore quietly. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of all of them. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge nor Truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. The mirror will be moved to a new home tomorrow. Harry and I, Harry, and I ask you not to go looking for it again. If you ever do run across it, you will now be prepared. It does not do 
to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. Now, why don't you put that admirable cloak back on and get off to bed? Harry stood up. Sir, Professor Dumbledore, can I ask you something? Obviously, you have just done so. Dumbledore smiled. You may ask me one more thing, however. What do you see when you look into the mirror? I? I see my, myself holding a pair of fake woolen socks. Harry stared. One can never have enough socks, said Dumbledore. Another Christmas has come and gone, and I didn't get a single pair. People will insist on giving me books. It was only when he was back in bed that it struck Harry that Dumbledore might not have been quite truthful. But then he thought, as he showed scrabbles of his pillow, he had been quite a personal question. <laughs>